Welcome to Plot Spackle. From this point forward, there will be spoilers. You've been warned. I'm John, and I've had a few bad dates. I'm Eric, and, well, it's not the years, kid. It's the miles. And I'm Richard, and I've had our top men working on this. So uh, today we'll be uh, filling some plot holes, as we do on Plot Spackle, and it looks like we'll be using... Snakes, it looks like, to fill plot holes this week. Wait, what? I hate snakes, John. I hate them! So, let's let's not do snakes, and instead use this carefully prepared bag of sand. Yeah, just make sure it's, like, weighted right. Um, don't eyeball it. It might set off a trap. It'll be fine. Well, you know, we we are recording this where I live, and <laughs> I should know... There are definitely traps here. So if you haven't figured it out so far, today we'll be covering Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's a fun movie. I like it. I liked it. I do indeed. It's a classic, and uh, I think it holds up pretty well over time. You know, we joke about me living under a rock, but like this is one of the movies I definitely saw growing up, probably when I was like four Four or five. I don't think I was that young. I think the one I remember seeing first actually is uh, um, Last Crusade. Well, that's a good one. I, I'm pretty sure I saw Raiders first, though. I know I didn't see Temple of Doom until after the third one. I definitely didn't. I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark and then Last Crusade, and then my parents didn't like Temple of Doom, and so I didn't see that one until I was like a teenager. I think I first saw um, Temple of Doom when I rented it from the library. I think I rented it too. I know we had them on VHS. Which kids, those are like a cassette tape. And kids, cassette tapes are like CDs. And kids, CDs are like MP3s, except physical. So there's the whole process there. And we can even get into such things as uh, 8-track and vinyl and uh, laser discs. Kids are knowing what vinyl is now because, well... They're hipsters, and... They're going back in time. Yeah, vinyl has outsold CDs for, like, the first time, like, this last year. So I'm not surprised by that, because, as a tangent here, it's because a CD really is just a storage device for digital files, but uh, vinyl is actually analog, and that is a small difference in music. Oh, it definitely does. Yeah. To get the, the hipster audiophile glasses on, it definitely sounds different. And, well... For me personally, I like listening to vinyl records because I actually have to sit down and listen to the music. I can't be doing other things with it. So anyways, uh, off that tangent. Yeah, back to our movie. But you know who also listened to records? Indiana Jones. He did. Because it was set in the 40s, well, 30s. Good transition back there. Almost as if we transitioned by map. So Indiana Jones... Released on June 12th, 1981, had an approximate $18 million budget, earned back $8 million in the first weekend, and has grossed, the U.S. alone, $248 million. So, quite a bit of money. Yeah. It's, it's a big deal. It's called success. That's what it's called. It's called success, and it has a score by John Williams, who... Scores all the greatest childhood films, so... He just scores great films. John Williams. Let's give him a round of applause. Good job. All right. 
but plot holes themselves for Indiana Jones. Uh, there's a couple of different ones. One being uh, Indian Marion get thrown into the Well of Souls, place where the Ark of the Covenant's been buried for thousands of years. But it's got lots of light in it, even when they get sealed in. Well, they are carrying torches. Oh yeah, and isn't there like a giant hole in the ceiling at yeah. first, and that closes up and then it gets darker? It does, John. And doesn't it get darker when the torches go out? It does, John. But it doesn't go out all the way, and you know why? Because it'd be really boring to watch a completely pitch black movie for two minutes? Yep, it'd be completely... Like, boring. Like, it would not be fun at all. And uh, at that point, we can say the light in that instance is coming from the same place that the music's coming from. The mind of the viewer. I'd agree. Um, now, as for some other bits, like, for instance, uh, why are there so many snakes just hanging out here? I'm going to go with that um, the, the snakes were actually from just this underground environment they'd have. I mean, snakes, as you know, are cold-blooded, right? Uh-huh. So they don't want to hang out on the surface. Well, unless they need to digest their food. But it's it's shown that the snakes can go in and out of the Yeah, they can get temple. in and out of that temple. Um, there was a bunch of surprisingly fresh-looking corpses in the chamber nearby through the wall. So there's probably insects. I imagine the snakes actually just lived kind of in that region, in the city, and spent a lot of time in the uh, buried sections they could get around in there. And then as the uh, excavation began, they started getting forced to areas. They decided to move away from where the Nazis were living. Yeah. Who wants to be around Nazis? Yeah, snakes, they don't like Nazis more than they don't like being bothered by people. Snakes also is part of my plot fix for the uh, area being dark. Because Indy lit a bunch of snakes on fire. Oh, yeah. And so there's probably still some snake corpses burning. Yeah, there's burning snakes. And so that's why there's so many snakes there is, you know, they just kind of got corralled in there naturally and they're like this is a safe place we can hang out sure there's a lot of snakes here but i mean it's not an uncommon thing for a lot of snakes to congregate in a small area like um during colder months rattlesnakes will get into big holes and just chill with each other Mm -hmm. i'll also put down that some of the snakes could just be generated by mystical protections as this is a universe where patently the supernatural works that is true and there was a big old snake motif all over that room. So the Egyptians could have put some kind of snake curse on it and just made snakes out of nothing. And everyone knows that ancient Egyptian curses always work. Yeah, and they last forever, especially in this universe. Like, it is a thing that traps work and magical items from the past are, in fact, magical. So, yeah, I think that solves it. Magic solves everything, guys. Heck yeah. Alright, so uh, how about this for a plot hole? Um, Indy's got that staff of Ra, right? And once he measures, puts it in the hole, and has the light show him where he's actually supposed to be digging, he snaps that in half to prevent the uh, Nazis from getting it. But, I mean, seriously, is it really going to slow the Nazis down that much? They'll be like, huh, I wonder why we have these broken pieces of wood in here. I wonder if they go together. Well, my personal thought on that, because they don't actually show it, but I kind of think that Indiana takes like one half of the staff with him as he leaves. So you have the broken staff, but they don't actually have the the complete staff. Well, even if they, even if he doesn't take it with him, I just figured that India was like, well, the Nazis are already digging in the wrong place, 
and they're just enlarging their excavation. They've already been here. And sure, say they come back to check their measurement again. He hucks them off into the corner of a room, and they're just going to go set up their staff, check that the sun goes through the same place, and go, yep, this is the right spot. Dang, we missed. See, and for me, a bit of it is the plot hole has um, decided what his reasonings were for breaking the staff, and that's a lot of the cause, because I think it really is, is he's just like, I don't need to take the staff back out of the hole. It'll just get in the way. Mm-hmm. And if I could choose between leaving something intact or broken, I'd break it. Because it didn't take me much time to break it. I just snapped it and toss it. I just gotta say, John, that's a really bad opinion for an archaeologist to have. Well, I'm gonna find something that I'm gonna break it? Well, See, no. he made the thing. He, he brought it in. It's just he didn't want to leave with it. It'd just be in the way. And so, what? Well, I don't need to bring it. And if I'm not gonna bring it, I can break it. And it took him five seconds. Less than that, he's just like, snap, toss, and away. Who knows? Maybe he even buried a staff in the sand that was under the hole. I think if it was would have been convenient for him to take it out, he would have taken it out. Because mm-hmm. I don't know. I've never tried climbing a Nazi flag rope with a, uh, a six foot staff, but I don't think it's easy, especially when you have to have two hands to climb. All right. Well, speaking of the Nazis and digging in the wrong spot, they're digging all over the place, and yet, when Indian Marians smash through the wall, go through the strangely corpse-filled room, and then see the shaft of light in a hole in an exposed wall right next to the Nazi camp. How come none of the Nazis are just like, let's check out this building? Maybe because they have this staff that's showing them where they're supposed to be digging. The, uh, the wall is actually out of the way. You can actually see someone just chilling in the shade. So it's an out-of-the-way wall. No one cares about it. Yeah, so from what I can tell, it's they were digging around at first until they managed to find the uh, the map room. And then from there, they're like, okay, we just need the, the the staff and the amulet. And they can just... They did some general digging around, and they established the airfield, which is right next to that antechamber. But then we have a couple other points. One, they had to smash through a wall. Like... It's not actually connected. They could have gone down into that room, saw it was filled with corpses, saw no arc, saw that it was not big enough for an arc, and been like, all right, so this was a burial place for servants of some kind. And if you notice, like, the light is coming through that wall because the brick had been moved. So it was loose. So basically they found this while digging, pulled out a brick, looked inside, saw that it led to no other chambers, because, yeah, Indy has to break through a wall just to get into that other room. It was filled with dead bodies, which they don't care about, and just kind of put the brick back and went on their way. I mean, once you know where the Ark is supposed to be, you just dig there. It makes it a lot easier than just trying to unearth an entire city. Remember, this was a city, not like one temple or something. So to bring up another plot hole with Nazis in it, so the dig site literally contains hundreds of Nazis. And when Indy and Sala are digging up on the the, the top of the uh, arc, uh, the the well of well, souls. Well of souls. Sorry, I'm like I thought it was called. Uh, I couldn't quite remember if it was actually called something. Anyways, they're digging on top of the well of souls, and why don't the other hundred Nazis notice that they're there? Well, you know, besides a hundred Nazis, there's also like two hundred diggers. There's so much digging and so much work going on. It's not really super organized from what I could tell. No, and Sala did point out that they were hiring 
every single digger they could get their hands on and just having them work long hours for dirt cheap pay. And they basically treated all of them like servants from the one scene we have Indy and Sala walking through camp. Mm -hmm. So the Nazis weren't really paying attention to them unless they needed something from them. And so I find this one interesting too because ultimately the Nazis do notice them. And when when they do, they rush over and find them. Mm -hmm. I also like to think that the uh, the age old practice of I'm not in charge of those people so I'm not gonna care I don't care what they do is still in effect. Yeah, for most of the Nazis, their point was not to coordinate the digging, but to make just... sure that the digging was happening. Yeah, and so if people were digging somewhere, you kind of assumed that they had been told to dig there for whatever reason. It wasn't your problem. Mm-hmm. You were just hot and upset because you had to watch these people. You were just following orders. Yeah, you were just following orders, and so when someone who knew where the digging was supposed to be happening, notices, he points it out, and then there's problems. That fixed it for me. Yeah. So, uh, let's talk about that staff of Raw. So, um, yeah, it's kind of, kind of long. I mean, Sala gives us that measurement of how long it should be, and it's like, super tall for being that height. I mean, 72 inches minus... 12 inches makes it five feet and it towers over indiana jones i think it's because when indiana jones has to find the specific um hole to insert the staff it's because the the uh, platform is raised where he actually has to stick the staff so it makes it look taller than it actually is and they were using weird camera angles well the staff is tall it's the call sheet for the for that particular day of filming does give you a seven foot staff being used on there. That's pretty big. Much, a, much bigger than Sala said. It is much bigger than Sala said. So it could be that Sala is just not good at ancient Egyptian measurements. He can speak Egyptian, but he may not necessarily know how long Kadams are, and had to rely on Indy to actually do the archaeology bit huh well he's a really good digger we know that yeah but that doesn't mean he knows a bunch of stuff and maybe uh kadams aren't always a set length maybe that's one that was adjusted based off things of the ruler like a cubit was given that most measurements in ancient egypt were based off of cubits it's fairly uh fairly accurate to assume that especially given that kadams in Indiana Jones are definitely longer than Kadams in real life. Okay. So if it was, in fact, in our world where we don't have magic... If it was in our world and we don't have magic... It would be a much shorter staff. Yeah. Yeah, it would be... Let's see. Do some quick math. Richard did math and research on this. He can tell you uh, all about Kadams. If we went with the actual measurement of a Kadam in our universe without magic... The staff of Ra, as given, would be four and a half feet tall. Well, that's not very cinematic. It's not, and it is not impressive, and it doesn't look good on a camera next to Harrison Ford. I think it does, though. No, Harrison Ford looks good next to the staff. Not the other way around. I think that's what Eric was thinking about, really. Anything looks good next to Harrison Ford. Except for that earring, that dumb earring. All right, so if uh, Kadam in this universe is a bit longer by not much either 
if your kadam works out to be about 16 inches rather than the like 7 inches the standard kadam is based off of then you have a perfectly accurate staff of raw alright alright and if you do that then you can base it off of the royal cubit and it works out to be four palms and two fingers using ancient Egyptian measurements. And there's your Kadam, and you have a seven-foot staff. All right. Now, um, about that staff still, I mean, the inscription says it's supposed to be six Kadams high on one side, and then on the other side it's all like minus one Kadam for the uh, God of the Hebrews. Yep. I mean, who says stuff like that? It's not like you go get a microwave pizza... And it says, bake for 30 minutes, minus 5 minutes. For the DiGiorno man, whose pizza this actually is. For you listeners, specifically this is getting brought up because it was put in the plot hole description on this website. Yeah, that's that's where we're getting our plot holes, is from a website. What's our website? Uh, The website is movieplotholes.com. We probably should have put that at the beginning. We probably should have. But... This is one of those ones that's the the guy wants to... It, it's very snarky, and it. I'm sure it's a good line when you write it, but when you're dealing with ancient mysticism and curses and all sorts of things like that, people write like this all the time. I think it's kind of meant to be poetic, too. That's a way to you... Because it's going to be in writing, and if it's worth writing... It's worth thinking about out how you write it. I mean, this is being engraved in metal, and it's going to be around for a long time, and you know that. And so you're like, I'm making a point here. Plus, if we think about it how it is, is they hid the Ark. Yeah, it's they, a basic security measure. Yeah, if you can only see... Because on one side it says, the side that most people are going to see, it says the, you know, it's going to be this tall. And so it meant that if someone went and got close enough to the pharaoh, or the ruler of the city, whoever held the amulet... They could say, oh, it says this many Kadams. Ah, I know how far. But since it's on the other side, you'd have to actually have the amulet and know about it. Could it also be due to Indiana Jones's pulp nature? Because, so just in case um, you guys don't know, Indiana Jones was based off of the 1940s pulp fiction books. Not the movie Pulp Fiction, but they were kind of like, they're really cheap novels that were very exciting. So Indiana Jones is based off that, and it's a very um, tricky um, point that can be brought up where our hero knows something that the bad guy doesn't know. And I think it just fits really well into that style of writing. It does. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it. it's not necessarily a plot hole, really. It's just a way of doing things, and it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's almost as if a lot, most of the ancient texts we have are um, poems. Yeah, they're very poetic, and things are run out in specific ways because it sounds good in the language that it originally came in. So, to go back to the, the writing on the uh, the amulet, how about when the uh, the sniveling Nazi, the guy, I can't remember his name, but he, he is able to get those engravings uh, branded perfectly into his skin. Would that even work in real life? Well, I would answer this question. But I happen to know, Eric, you did a lot of research. I did do a lot of research. I just wanted to bring that up. A lot of unfortunate research. Let's just say, curse my morbid curiosity. So the plot hole was, um, if if the symbol could be branded into that uh, person's hand, 
and would the uh, text be legible? So I'm like, okay, well, it is a uh, gold bronze uh, amulet. If you're going to brand something, you get a red hot iron. Okay, well, let's see what red hot iron, uh, what the temperature is. Okay, it's uh, 700 degrees. Okay, does gold melt it around that temperature? Uh, yeah, no, no, it doesn't. So, okay, you can brand someone with gold. And then it's like, okay. Then I searched intricate branding to see if you could actually uh, brand intricate words into people. And, well, curse my mor morbid curiosity, because you can. And, you know, it also gets brought up uh, when you... Uh, search for that online pictures you, you do see pictures and a lot of those are infected and skin is cracking open because people decided that they wanted to instead of getting a tattoo like a normal hipster they wanted to burn themselves and make a design let's just say that is gross and if you do that you need to ta have a talk with your parents and rethink your life choices so assuming that this uh weasley told. um yeah Hertut, Weasley Nazi guy, who was shown to be fastidious in his appearance and stuff, properly treated his injury afterwards, it wouldn't crack and get infected and they'd have a legible writing and pretty accurate uh, design. Yes. Why, yes, it can, John. Especially because shortly after he got burned, he immediately applied uh, cold water to it in the form of snow. And it, it's possible that it wasn't even that hot. It was enough to cause... Um, not like third degree burns, like not an actual branding, but it was hot enough to um, cause scarification, but not like blistering. Because that's what really turns infected. Is the blisters. Is the blisters. And we did see his hand and it did not have blisters. It was just, it was scarred. All right. So we solved that plot hole um, real quick. I mean, isn't it awfully convenient that in this dig site covered in tents... Indiana Jones just happens to stumble on the one with Marion in it. Why, yes, it is. But there's no reason he should have stumbled into any other tent. I, yeah, I guess. It just kind of happens. And I also think it keeps with the uh, the pulpy nature of the, of the story. Chance encounters. Exactly. Convenient timing. And so it's just, it's keeping with the narrative style. I mean, it would not have been as great a story if uh, he didn't know Marion was alive at that point. Mm -hmm. Plus, I mean... He then promptly abandons her, much to her rage. Or Marion. I've been saying Marion. <laughs> I'll just say Marion like three times. Marion. 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 And now Eric can fix it in post. No, I won't. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe. And look, I'll probably get like halfway through and then hear that. Like, ah, oh, geez, I have to go through and fix that now. Because so, I'm going to forget about it. How about one of the big ones? Oh, we're getting big here. We're going to get a big one. Indiana Jones trying to follow the Nazis to get back the get back the Ark after they've taken it from him. They load it on a submarine after they take it off of the take it off the pirate ship. And Indy swims over to the submarine and then somehow rides the submarine all the way to an island? You see it happen on the map. Yeah, you watched it happen. It's on the map. You know, he went from in between um, Egypt and England about halfway to Greece. Um, but another thing, too, is the those U-boats uh, that he was uh, riding on submerge for very long because, well, they run on diesel motors. And correct me if I'm wrong, 
this is really snarky, and I keep sounding like super snarky, which we try not to, but internal combustion engines need three things to, to operate efficiently. They need the fuel, they need a spark, and oxygen. And I'm pretty sure oxygen is in short supply underwater. And you have to bring your own oxygen. Well, you actually can't even run uh, diesel underwater because... The, oh, it's got to pull it in. Yeah, because they're not... Um, their batteries weren't actually that efficient. So if you needed to cruise for long times, and this is according to actual uh, Nazi op operating uh, procedures, in a combat uh, mode, you had to run on the top, or you had to be a normal boat. All right, and so we know they dive at the beginning, so they could have gone a periscope depth for a short distance, and then they surfaced again, and he just rode on the back of that. Um, not too long. I don't think it was a huge difference because... They were leaving from Egypt, sailing to England. They were caught not very long after they left. At least, um, probably... Less than... Eight hours. I think less than eight hours. Less than eight it was hours. nighttime when they left, and it was uh, daytime when they got, got caught. So. But Marion had uh, only changed her clothing once. Mm -hmm. And uh, one nap time period, whatever. Yeah, however Andy long. Andy had passed out when he wakes up they're being boarded so it can't have been that far from greece which is where the islands they went to were and so they dive to periscope depth and he's strapped to it with his whip he goes for a really uncomfortable ride later they surface once out of sight of the pirates and then he just can ride on the top because we do see when they reach the uh docking that the top of the submarine is pretty dry so it's been out of the water for a while so yeah, so at the very end, Indy just has to swim to a point in the uh, under, underwater, not underwater, but the, the secret hideout, and to avoid all the guards. So that's really the only part that's probably, well, not hard, but... Dangerous, certainly. Yeah. yeah. And, like, a lot of people think this is a plot hole, but this was actually in the screenplay. It was a deleted scene. So they, they filmed this scene, but never included it in the theatrical release. Because they probably didn't think it was super necessary. You just knew that he could get there. It's more important about that he gets to that point than exactly how. Yeah, they're traveling by map. They figured you could figure it out on your own. Plot hole website guy. Do we have any others? Um, some of the other ones are just, how does Indiana... They're more like plot contrivances... Um, contrivances, not contrivances, whatever. Contrivance. Crap. Um, you were right the first time. <laughs> well, one one that gets brought up is, how does Indy know to look away from the Ark of the Covenant? Because he, he listened in Sunday school. He, he read a Bible. Yeah, it's pretty clear within historical, or in within the text of the biblical. Bible, the biblical text, that the Ark is not something you're supposed to mess with unless you're told you can mess with it. If you touch it and you're not supposed to, you're going to die. If you the look into you, it... They, there's a, like literally a scripture that says, so-and-so touched the Ark, and he wasn't supposed to, so the Lord smote him and he died. Yeah. And you know you start looking into it, and you're going to die. It's, it's pretty special in that way. And I think it mostly comes down to, because he doesn't tell her right away, because at first he's just like, well, they're just doing this thing. And then he starts to notice that there's stuff happening. And he's like, um, yeah, close your eyes. Don't, don't look. Do not see what's happening. But another, like officially, or not officially, but 
Like, I think Indiana Jones knows to not look at it because in the actual biblical text, the only person who can actually look at the Ark of the Covenant is the high priest in uh, Judaism. That high priest can only look at the Ark on one day out of the entire year. So... And Belloc is not the high priest, no matter how much he dresses up like him? That is true. He is not. He is not doing any of the necessary sacrifices. And, well, he just doesn't have the, the priesthoods necessary. Yeah, he's not from the right family line. He's not even a Jew. Yeah, well, so... Well, we don't know that. He might... I don't know. He, he might have been, but the thing was is they held uh, a big regard to records of lineage for that purpose. To where, like, you could be like, oh, well, I'm... I'm this family line, and they're like, well, yeah, but we lost our records, so we don't really know if you can do it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of to tie into that whole scene, the face-melting scene. So there's a, a pl- thought going out on the internet, is Indiana Jones actually made everything worse by trying to save the Ark. So if, let's say, Indiana Jones had let the Nazis take the Ark, Hitler would have opened it up and had his face melted, and World War II would have been... Uh, Cut short by a couple of years. What do you guys think about that? Or, or um, because they found the Ark, um, Belloc wouldn't have had the ability to convince the Nazis that they needed to look inside of it. And Hitler would have just had it go ahead of his armies and obliterate everyone who stood in their way. See, I personally think it would not have gone to Hitler because during the middle of the movie, Belloc says... The, uh, Hitler will get the Ark when I'm done, uh, or when I'm through testing it. So, if we're to believe Belloc, he would have done the tests on the Ark by himself before giving it to Hitler. He would have died. So Nazis would have come in, see that there's a bunch of... Bunch of dead Nazis. Dead Nazis in there, and probably like, oh, we're not going to give this to the Fuhrer. And they probably would have put it in a warehouse in uh, Nazi Germany... Or decided to leave it somewhere for somebody else to find, so that whatever happened to these guys could happen to them. No, see, because that's not how the Nazis thought. They would have been like, oh, everyone here's dead. Well, let's uh, let someone else try and open it and see if it kills them, too. I just Without actually being nearby, and then be like, oh, well, they died, too. We know not to open it. We know how to use this. I just, I don't think it would have gone to Hitler. It wouldn't have gone to Hitler immediately, no. So I, I think it would have passed by him eventually, but I don't think he would have personally handled it or opened it or anything like that. He would have just signed off the paper saying, oh, yes, we'll use this. Or not even that. They could have just thrown it in a museum, and it would have been part of uh, their pride. Mm-hmm. Like They'd be like, oh, look, we have found this artifact. We have claimed this artifact that was stolen from the Aryan people by the Jews. Which, you know, would have been their propaganda. Yeah. So, no, I think it was a good thing that Indiana Jones went and looked for it. Because now it, it got put in the U.S. warehouse and inspired the TV show Warehouse 13. Yeah. And has top men working on it right now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Probably on uh, Area 51. Probably. Yeah. Wait, no, that's only where they test weird airplanes. Definitely. That's probably the eventual fourth movie. So, uh any more plot holes or is that is that all of them that's pretty much all that i think can think of so any other thoughts on the movie then i think we talked about it at the beginning at the beginning we we all really enjoyed this movie it's a very fun movie it's definitely one that well i I don't want to say you could definitely show your kids because the end kind of gets intense yeah it's it is pg-13 
for a reason. Like, is is this one that invented PG-13? Yeah, it was one of the ones that invented PG-13, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was this one, and then there was another one, and they were like, um, Is it The Exorcist? It wasn't, The Exorcist was definitely R. Um, it was a, I can't remember, it was a cop movie, I can't quite remember. But it was these two movies, I think, yeah, the original Indiana Jones is PG. Yeah. And then they saw this one, and it's, yeah, no, we're not going to have this movie be a PG movie. But it's not definitely an R, so let's make one in between and we'll just do pg-13 because it has gore but it's fake gore but we know that it's fake gore because we're adults and violent things happen like bald nazis get chopped up by uh prop engines which is pretty gross but awesome too i just you know that that buff bald nazi he was just so excited to be punching someone like Mm -hmm. Like, it's not even that he cared that there was an intruder or that he was stealing the plane. It's like, oh my gosh, this guy's, like, fighting people. I'm gonna go fight him. This is gonna be awesome. Let's go punch him. Repeatedly. Yeah. He might punch me. Yeah, he might punch me and we'll have a good time and then I'll throw him in jail and then we'll have be best buds. Indian the buff Nazi mechanic. Indian the buff Nazi mechanic. Well, I don't think he was a mechanic, but he was a Nazi at least. He might have been the commander of the airfield. Probably. He just wanted a friend to punch. Don't we all? But not Nazi friends. We don't like those. No, no. But yeah, um, if you have any plot holes you think that we missed, please leave us a comment on our Facebook page at Plot Spackle. Or you can send us a tweet at, at Plot Spackle Pod. We even have an email sometimes that some, well, we have an email that we sometimes check. Which is at uh, Plot Spackle Podcast, or it's Plot Spackle Podcast at Google.com. Gmail. At gmail.com. At gmail.com. Um, leave us a review at uh, Apple Podcasts. Yes, Apple Podcasts. Or talk to us on Facebook at Plots ba- or for Plots Backle Podcast. And we're glad you like to listen to us. And we'll see you, or you'll hear us, next time on Plots Backle.